All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton, and we are standing in the confessional corner this week looking at the fifth commandment, this commandment that seems to be so simple to understand and yet so hard to keep, as we will see as we look through the large catechism. But let's take a glance at the small catechism first, as we always do. You shall not murder. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. So far, the small catechism. Fairly simple and straightforward, right? Do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. Should be able to keep that one, right? Yeah, not so much. And we see that in the large catechism. As we start off on page 379 of the Concordia, the reader's edition of the Book of Concord, the fifth commandment, paragraph 179 of the large catechism. You shall not murder. We have now finished teaching about both the spiritual and temporal government, that is, the divine and the parental authority and obedience. But now we go forth from our house among our neighbors to learn how we should live with one another, everyone himself toward his neighbor. Therefore God and government are not included in this commandment, nor is the power to kill taken away which God and government have. To punish evildoers, God has delegated his authority to the government, not parents. In earlier times, as we read in Moses, parents were required to bring their own children to judgment and even to sentence them to death, Deuteronomy 21, 18 to 21. Therefore, what is forbidden in this commandment is forbidden to the individual in his relationship with anyone else, but not to the government. So Luther starts off right away by saying God and the government are completely taken out of this commandment. Because God has the right to punish anybody and will punish everyone with death who is not slated to be here on the earth when Jesus returns. He has given the authority to the government to punish evildoers, even with the death penalty. So Lutherans understand that the government has the authority to impose the death penalty if it sees that it is necessary. So it boils down to what you and I do as regular, ordinary people and how we associate with those around us. So we pick up in paragraph 182. Now this commandment is easy enough and has often been presented because we hear it each year in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 5, verses 20 to 26, where Christ himself explains and sums it up. He says that we must not kill, neither with hand, heart, mouth, signs, gestures, help, or counsel. Therefore, this commandment forbids everyone to be angry, except those, as we said, who are in the place of God, that is, parents and the government. For it is proper for God and for everyone who is in a divine estate to be angry, to rebuke, and to punish because of those very persons who transgress this and the other commandments. Romans 13.4 So once again, we have... Going to Jesus and his words in the Sermon on the Mount, which take you shall not murder being a thing of as long as you do not physically cause somebody to die, you've kept the commandment. And he says, no, no, if you are angry with your brother, if you hold a grudge against your brother, if you call him a fool, 
you have broken this commandment. That is how difficult this commandment is. And he goes on to say, The cause and need of this commandment is that God well knows that the world is evil, Galatians 1.4, and that this life has much unhappiness. Therefore he has set up this and the other commandments between the good people and the evil. Now, just as there are many attacks on all commandments, so the same happens also with this commandment. We must live among many people who do us harm, and we have a reason to be hostile to them. For example, when your neighbor sees that you have a better house and home, a larger family and more fertile fields, greater possessions and fortune from God than he does, he gets in a bad mood, envies you, and speaks no good of you. So, by the devil's encouragement, you will get many enemies who cannot bear to see you have any good, either bodily or spiritual. When we see such people, our hearts also would like to rage and bleed and take vengeance. Then there arise cursing and blows. From them misery and murder finally come. In this commandment, God, like a kind father, steps in ahead of us, intervenes and wishes to have the quarrel settled, so that no misfortune comes from it and no one destroys another person. And briefly, he would in, his, in this way protect, set free, and keep in peace everyone against the crime and violence of everyone else. He would have this commandment placed as a wall, fortress, and refuge around our neighbor so that we do not hurt or harm him in his body. The commandment has this goal, that no one would offend his neighbor because of any evil deed, even though he has fully deserved it. For where murder is forbidden, all cause from which murder may spring is also forbidden. For many people, although they do not kill, curse and utter a wish that someone would stop a person from running far as it were to strike him on the neck. Now this urge dwells in everyone by nature. It is common practice that no one is willing to suffer at the hands of another person. Therefore, God wants to remove the root and source by which the heart is embittered against our, enemy, our neighbor. He wants to make us used to keeping this commandment ever in view, always to contemplate ourselves in it as a mirror, James 1, 23-25, to regard the will of God and to turn over to him the wrong that we suffer with hearty confidence and by calling on his name. In this way, we shall let our enemies rage and be angry, doing what they can. We learn to calm our wrath and to have a patient, gentle heart, especially toward those who give us cause to be angry, that is, our enemies. The commandment has a simple goal, that no one would offend his neighbor. And in 2022, I'm not sure if there is anything that can be said that is not an offense to somebody, that somebody will not take offense at. I mean, even if you say, good morning, I mean, somebody will be offended by that. And it's ridiculous how far afield we have gone. Trying, I mean, honestly, trying to keep this part of the commandment of not trying to offend others. But the point is not to go out of our way to offend people. People are always going to take offense at what we do. People are always going to take offense at Christians because Christians have a certain code, a certain law that they uphold, it being the law of the one true God, the one who has given us his son to die for our sins. And in that revelation of his son gives us these things that are definitely anti-society today. 
and have truly been anti-society throughout the ages. Even when you had Christendom as kind of the big main uh, government in the world, as you had in Luther's time in the Holy Roman Empire. Even then, as we see Luther over and over again in his writings, as we have seen in the Augsburg Confession and the Small Cold Articles, and we'll see again in the Formula of Concord later on, that even in a Christian government, one run by the church, you still have envy and strife and offense being caused over and over again. So God gives us this commandment to remove the root and source by which our heart is embittered against our neighbor. Understanding that everything we have, and we'll get into this more in the seventh commandment, is a gift from God. Everything our neighbor has is a gift from God. And everyone is given the gifts according to God's grace and favor. Nothing necessarily in us, even though, yes, favor is in there, but it is given by God's wisdom. It's given to them and not you. It's given to you and not them. And that is the way it is. And our struggle, our wrestling with this is to be content with that and to not become upset with our neighbor because of the gifts that he has been given. We move on into paragraph 188. Therefore, the entire sum of what it means not to murder is to be impressed most clearly upon the simple-minded, Deuteronomy 6-7. In the first place, we must harm no one, either with our hand or by deed. We must not use our tongue to instigate or counsel harm. We must neither use nor agree to use any means or methods by which another person may be injured. Finally, the heart must not be ill-disposed toward anyone or wish another person ill in anger and hatred. Then body and soul may be innocent toward everyone, but especially toward those who wish you evil or inflict such things upon you. For to do evil to someone who wishes you good and does you good is not human, but devilish. The idea here is what Jesus says in the Golden Rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And if someone is doing you good and you repay them with evil, as Luther says, that is not human, that is devilish. That is a gross misuse, a gross breaking of the fifth commandment. And it is without hand or deed, without tongue to instigate or counsel. This is even those wishes that somebody would get rid of somebody else. Uh, We have this over and over again. Uh, uh, We have entire cable channels dedicated to movies that have this play out 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. That's just how easy and simple and common it is. And to find someone who can actually live peaceably with those, not only who do good to them, but also to those who wish them harm, That is a very 
rare find. We continue on in paragraph 189. Second, a person who does evil to his neighbor is not only not the only one guilty under this commandment. It also applies to anyone who can do his neighbor good, prevent or resist evil, defend and save his neighbor so that no bodily harm or hurt happen to him, yet does not do this. James 2, 15-16. If, therefore, you send away someone who is naked when you could clothe him, you have caused him to freeze to death. If you see someone hung, suffer hunger and do not give him food, you have caused him to starve. So also, if you see anyone innocently sentenced to death or in similar distress and do not save him, although you know ways and means to do so, you have killed him. It will not work for you to make the excuse that you did not provide any help, counsel, or aid to harm him, for you have withheld your love from him and deprived him of the benefit by which his life would have been saved. So as we get into these commandments, we realize this dichotomy here. It's not only the sins that you commit, the actions that you do, it's the sins of omission, the things that you fail to do, the things that you leave out, that you could do, that also break the commandment. Not because you have forced him to be uh, to suffer harm, but you have deprived him from the ability to not suffer harm, that you have the ability and the office to do. So therefore, if you send someone away naked, he will freeze to death, especially as we're getting into the fall and winter seasons. You know, we have that more often. Uh, when you see somebody suffering hunger and do not feed him, the same thing is there. You have caused him to starve to death because you have neglected to take what you can spare and give it to someone else. We continue on in paragraph 191. God also rightly calls all people murderers who do not provide counsel and help in distress and danger of body and life. He will pass a most terrible sentence upon them in the last day, as Christ himself has announced that he will say, I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Matthew 25, 42-43. This means you would have allowed me in mind to die of hunger, thirst, and cold. You would have allowed the wild beast to tear us to pieces or left us to rot in prison or perish in distress. What else is that but to rebuke them as murderers and bloodhounds? For although you have not actually done all this to someone, you have still, so far as you were concerned, let him wither and perish in misfortune. It is just as if I saw someone navigating and laboring in deep water, or one fallen into fire, and could extend to him the hand to pull him out and save him, and yet refuse to do it. How would I look, even in the eyes of the world, just like a murderer and a criminal? Let me let that sink in there for a moment. You have the opportunity. You have the means to be able to help, and you don't. How does that make you look? like a criminal and a murderer, even in the eyes of the world. We continue on. Therefore, it is God's ultimate purpose that we let harm come to no one, but show him all good and love. 
As we have said, this commandment is especially directed toward those who are our enemies. For to do good to our friends is an ordinary heathen virtue, as Christ says in Matthew 5.46. Here again we have God's word, by which he would encourage and teach us to do true, noble, and grand works, such as gentleness, patience, and in short, love and kindness to our enemies. He would ever remind us to reflect upon the first commandment. He is our God, which means he will help, assist, and protect us in order that we may quench the desire of revenge in us. We ought to practice and teach this. Then we would have our hands full by doing good works. But this would not be preaching for monks. It would greatly undermine from the religious calling and interfere with the sanctity of the Carthusians. It would even be regarded as forbidding good works and clearing the convents. For the ordinary state of Christians would be considered just as worthy and even worthier the monastic life. Everybody would see how the Carthusians mock and delude the world with a false, hypocritical show of holiness, Matthew 23, 27, because they have cast this and other commandments to the winds. They have considered them unnecessary, as though they were not commandments, but mere evangelical counsels. At the same time, they have shamelessly proclaimed and boasted about their hypocritical calling and works as the most perfect life. They do this so that they might lead a pleasant, easy life, without the cross and without patience. For this reason also, they have created the cloisters so that they may not be obliged to suffer any wrong from anyone or do that person any good. But know now that the works of this commandment are the true, holy, and godly works. God rejoices in them with all the angels. In comparison with these works, all human holiness is just stench and filth, Isaiah 64, 6. And besides, human holiness deserves nothing but wrath and damnation. So as we come to the end of the fifth commandment here, truly it is God's intent, not just to say, do not harm your neighbor, but do good works. It is God spurring us on to be good neighbors, not just to our friends, because that's, that's an ordinary, even heathen virtue, as Jesus says, but even to our enemies. As we are told throughout the scriptures, that even doing good to our enemies will pile burning coals upon their head, causing them the discomfort so that they might truly see that you and I do mean them good, even though we are enemies and would like to bury the hatchet and not in their back. That we want to live godly and peaceful lives, fulfilling the word of God, doing good for our neighbor, because God has been so good to us. All right, that's it for this week. Next week, we get into the sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Continuing on in our goings through of how do we love our neighbor as ourselves. Until then, this is Pastor Doug Minton thanking you for being here, standing in the confessional corner with me to, today. Come back on Thursdays for Digging Deeper, the moments of meditation, the sermons, from our Savior every week, and to be better equipped and better understanding of how we can wrestle and win against the false theologies around us every day. Amen.